Welcome to this happy podcast. I'm your host, Matt Palmer, joined by my fellow Mouseketeer, Paul Jarzembowski. And right now, we are missing one of our compatriots, John Grasso. He'll be joining us via recording. You'll get to hear his voice sooner or later. And we're also joined by the littlest Mouseketeer, Martin Maximilian Palmer. Welcome to the podcast, Marty. You're now one of the co-hosts. Wow, I love it. And we had to have three, we had to have three co-hosts. So, you know, <laughs> you improvised. Let it let it be known that I will be screenshotting this and sending it to John and saying, you've been replaced. <laughs> no, John can't be replaced. But we simply <laughs> added him as an extra friend. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> we'll see. Marty, it depends how well your answers are to these questions. Marty's got timing. All right. This week, we're discussing where we think Walt Disney's vision lives on most at Walt Disney World as it celebrates its 50th anniversary. As it stands, there are four parks, many resorts, shopping complexes, a sports complex that has even hosted an NBA championship. There's much to choose from, and it's a far cry from the opening of an extravagant amusement park and two resort hotels 50 years ago. So let's jump right into it, fellas. Uh, well, John will jump into it a little bit later. But Paul, let's jump right into it. We're talking about where we see Walt's vision living on today. And I want to get your thoughts as somebody who is a Disney file, somebody that's been going there since he was a little boy. Where do you see it living? Where do you see his vision living today? You know, one of the things I'm perhaps most intrigued by uh, is Walt's so when Walt was uh, in the latter part of his of his life, he was really get, well. Actually, honestly, throughout all of his life, but really, he 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 invested as as time went on in the future. He was a futurist. Um, he was always thinking about the next technology, about the next cutting edge, something that hadn't been. You know, he was a dreamer, but he really leaned into the technology. Um, I would think that with our technological age today, Walt would be right at home. Walt was always wondering what was around the corner with technology. When he was doing animation, he was thinking of the different different ways that animation could be done that was avant-garde, that was different than just drawing. He was thinking about the multi-plane thing. Um, and then, you know, he was getting into, um, he was thinking about the future with rockets. And so he was, you know, like in the 1950s as, as NASA was building up and we were starting to build a, a system that would go to the moon one day, um, you know, Walt Disney was really thinking about that. And so for him, that, that space exploration was that next thing. And so, and then as he, right before he died, you know, we, we know that he was involved with the 64 World's Fair, trying new things with auto animatronics and things like that. So, I mean, I'm kind of going in through that just to kind of set the stage of the fact that anytime Walt Disney World tries something innovative with technology, I have to think that somewhere, some, someplace, Walt is smiling. Walt is smiling down when he sees that we're trying something different. Uh, we're not just replicating what another company or a trend is, but that they're pushing the boundaries and they're inventing, they're, they're creating um, through the imagineering process. Um, I, and, and not just because I'm a Star Wars fan, but I would actually think that a lot of the things that's been going on with Galaxy's Edge, for instance, um, some of the new technology that's coming out, 
um, the way in which the ride system, like like the like um, the rise of the resistance, is a very unique ride experience that tries different things at the same time. I think Walt's vision is very much alive in that. It's it's let's try it. Let's try doing this. I even like the fact, okay, so one of the things, and this might be a little warning to people who go and are looking to go to Galaxy's Edge, one of the one of the quirks of Ride of the Resistance, Rise of the Resistance, is that the ride keeps breaking down. Um, <laughs> and it's very frustrating for fans because what'll happen is like the first hour, hour and a half will be just fine after they open. And then all of a sudden it comes to a screeching halt and they say, all right, hold on, we're gonna stop calling groups. We got to get this thing figured out. And at first, I mean, if you're going through that, you're anxious to write it. So of course it's so frustrating. Like, ah, can't you get this thing right? And, and here's where I'm going to turn some lemons into lemonade here. I actually think that's part of what Walt would love. Walt, I mean, think about it. The opening of, of Disneyland, people's uh, you know, high heels got stuck in the in the asphalt. Things break down. And that's part of the invention process. It means it's so cutting edge, they haven't, they haven't smoothed out the edges yet. When a ride breaks down like that, well, it's either too old or it's so new that there's things that they need to keep, that, that by it breaking down, the Imagineers can start to figure out how to make it work. Um, so in some ways, and actually what's been funny is that in the last couple of, of months, there's been less breaking down that I've heard of. So it was breaking down a lot at first, but that to me says there was Imagineers getting there going, huh, okay, we figured out how to put all this technology together. It's not working. What if we did it like this? What if we did it like this? And I'd like to think that's part of the fun of invention is that you're gonna stumble, you're gonna fall, you're gonna cause a ride to have a delay, but it's, it's creating a new. Um, and that's where I think the vision is alive. It also, the other part too, is it's, it tells a story. I love the fact that um, one of the things I was a little skeptical of going into that land, like I'm a big Star Wars fan. So I was fully looking forward to going to Tatooine or to Hoth or to Dagobah or Cloud City. I was fully, I wanted to do that. Same, same. And, and I kind of still do. The nostalgia in me still wants to go there. However, they created a new story um, with enough things that evoke the, the, the past that still, um, but, but, it, but it created a, it did create a narrative. You are on a journey. Like they are trying to tell a story when you walk through that land. They're not trying to tell a story you've already heard, i.e. in the movies. They're trying to tell a whole new story. Um, which again, I think Walt's vision would be clearly around. Walt loved to tell new stories. So again, it's a little bit of a risk and I'm not just trying to gloss over some of the factors. And you and I know that there's some things that, yeah, I wish they could have done this or that. But I do think that put together, I was, I was whisked away when I walk in there and I'm looking forward to going again. And even though I've pretty much walked around every nook and cranny of galaxy's edge and so i quote unquote seen it all i can't wait to go again because the story where's the story going to take me this time um you know what is that unique thing that's going to get me excited um and or there might be something that got me really excited about last time i can't wait to do that again 
Um, and it's not just because it's a thrilling ride. Um, you know, and I think that to me is where Walt is. He's, he's taken a classic story. Cinderella was part of like, you know, and all the, all the fairy tales were part of Grimm's Tales. You could think of the Star Wars universe as the Grimm's Tales of the 20th century. So Disney has taken a fairy tale legend, a fantasy legend, and they've, they've done their own spin on it, just like Walt did when he did the spin on Grimm's Tales to do um, Cinderella, Snow White, uh, all of those stories that we know so well. They were once something else and they plussed it. They did some new technology around it and it really kind of, it became classic. So I'd like to think that's where Walt's vision is. Um, and I swear I'm not saying that just because I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I'm, I'm going to say I doubt you. <laughs> that's <laughs> fine. Exactly because you're a big Star Wars fan. I know. I get it. I get it. But I, I have, I think part of it is I was surprised how, how not cynical I was after going through the land. I was expecting to be disappointed I, because there's been a couple of near misses in the, in the last couple of years. I was expecting myself fully to go, eh, and I wasn't. I was, I was, I was laughing with joy. I was, I was eager with anticipation, even on the second and the third time I had gone through that land. Um, so I have to say that's something because, you know, and, and because I'm such a Star Wars fan, I wanted it to be the traditional stuff. I wanted it to be the original trilogy that I was walking through. That's what I wanted. That's not what they gave me. So I kind of think that's what that, so that's why I'm going to, I'm going to push back on your doubting me because, because I did want it to be the original stuff and Disney didn't give it to me. And I think that's part of Walt's vision is, is giving you something familiar, but adding its own twist on it. Oddly though, my, my take on things in this topic is very in line with yours. Um, not Star Wars related, but, no. but, but my idea of where his vision is being realized today, Marty has his opinions on this. Um, by the way, he's the first 10 month old to ever co-host a podcast. Um, That's a record of some sort. <laughs> is that where, that I think maybe is where Disney's vision is alive right there, you know? <laughs> yes. Yes. He, he, like when he, when he conceived of Disneyland, he conceived of, uh, he thought, he dreamt of the idea of a 10-month-old sitting down with two guys talking, talking about his parks <laughs> on a computer. He's like, what's a computer? Um, so anyway, my vision, where I see Walt Disney's vision alive today actually is in the idea of the Magic Kingdom and Epcot currently as they are undergoing various changes and updates and pluses. Um, I just happened to be watching uh, with, with the older two kids today, um, The Most Magical Story. I think that's what it was called. It was a, essentially an, uh, a 2020 special on Walt Disney World in the 50th anniversary. And one of the things it, it featured was Walt saying, just as he had with Disneyland, that Epcot would never be finished. Mm. And I think he conceived his parks to constantly be in a state of, of evaluation. 
of let's push this further. Let's see where it goes. And as as people, uh, some people take umbrage with changes coming to Splash Mountain. I know I said a couple weeks ago, I fully embrace the changes coming with Princess and the Frog and the updates and you know what they're what they're aiming to do with with these changes and how they're reflecting society and how it's changed over the years. Um, so I think like being a more inclusive park begins with real concrete examples of how a ride can integrate with a story. Um, and then when I look at something like Epcot, which I know a lot of Epcot purists are not incredibly keen on the way changes have been happening in the front, front end of the park. But when I look at some of the changes that have happened over the last 15 to 20 years, starting with, with uh, some of the rides that you and I have been on when we've gone to Epcot, you know, Test Track is, is, is a standout ride but that was not there at the beginning of Epcot. Um, and now they're adding in the Guardians of the Galaxy, which is very much an IP, leaning toward an IP intellectual mm -hmm. property that, that Epcot, for the most part in its early history, did not lean into. Um, and you're seeing that start to happen a lot at Epcot. Um, and obviously you, you got to go to Space 220 recently and see some of the additions there. Um, so I think like what, what, what I see is Disney reevaluating what Epcot is and reevaluating what its own Magic Kingdom is and what it means to the people who go there. Um, what experiences people are aiming to have. So I feel like when Disney changes, when Disney embraces evolution, that's when it's fully resting in what Walt Disney aimed for. Um, he wasn't a guy that was settled on, all right, it's done. It's complete. Let's walk away. Yep. He was somebody that had his eye on the horizon. Somebody that was constantly thinking about what's, what's new, what can wow people. So when I look at something like Galaxy's Edge, nobody conceived that. Nobody thought, you know, 15 years ago that Disney Hollywood Studios, which was MGM, MGM Studios at, at, at the beginning point of its part existence, that it would become more about the, the, the movie experiences and less about, um, and then extending the movie worlds, creating lands. That's less what it was before. And now you see Toy Story Land, you see Galaxy's Edge. The parks start to change and evolve and they realize maybe where they misstepped. I know they've done that completely out in California Adventure. Um, when that park opened, that was kind of criticized roundly for its what really sets us apart from any other theme park or amusement park. And really, I think that was a pivot point you know, for the company in the, in the theme park world is, is going, you know what? we kind of struck out on that first round. Let, let's go back and, and try it again, see what we can do to, to give this a real genuine Disney feel. And I feel like that's what they're doing with the Magic Kingdom uh, on a smaller scale and at Epcot on a, or on a larger scale. And I know like sometimes that upsets a purist, but it's never going to always be exactly the way we were remembered as children or even as adults. Um, it's for the next generation to figure out what makes it special for them. And Disney always has to think about what's going to be relevant to that next generation. So like in 50 years, I fully anticipate that they've converted Galaxy's Edge into some other intellectual property land. Um, right. And we have to be ready for that. We have to be ready to embrace change. I know change is difficult. I, I struggle with it more than anybody. 
but I feel like that's where that's where Disney has trained its audience to go you know what things are going to be different and you might like this experience but what if it's better what if we can give you something better so that's where I land I would you know it's funny I, I myself am an Epcot purist too I really am but if you're truly an Epcot, and I would say, if you're truly an Epcot purist, you would believe in, again, what Walt had said, that Epcot will never truly be finished. And so you, in a way, your purity should, uh, should be pure evolution, if that makes sense. Um, I, I'm excited about where Epcot's going. Um, I absolutely love the original. The one thing I wish that, I, I hope that they will do, is not so much tear down and and uh, like I, I wish they would continually throughout the a ride's development continue to plus it and in, you know throughout as opposed to leaving it static for like twenty years and then just tearing it apart for the next new thing but rather incrementally like every five years look at how can that get slightly better that's the kind of progress I hope that they will continue to do as opposed to just these big projects stop, wait 20 years, big projects stop. Um, like for instance, one of my, I, I will actually argue that one of my top rides at Epcot is a, is a weird one. It's living with the land. Um, I will do not, love that ride. I mean, I will not, if like, like if I go to Epcot and I don't ride living with the land, it's an incomplete trip. Um, like that to me is like, there's just such a like calming, soothingness to that ride. But it honestly, it, it, it hasn't been plused a whole lot in its existence in the last 40 years. Um, I wish they would continually just keep tweaking. They took out one of the songs once, replaced it with something else. But since then, uh, it's been largely static for a while. I kind of, I, my hope is that it doesn't get to a point where one day they go, yeah, it's been the same for several decades. Let's just tear it apart. I wish that we could continually keep adding to it. Now, I think that that ride is a little more evergreen because technically the greenhouse part of that ride is always changing. Like, I'm kind of excited to say like, what are we growing this time? And it's always something different. Like the plants in the greenhouse are always for the most part changing. Um, they literally grow and they're growing something new in this area. Now we're planting these crops or these crops. Um, but I, I think that, yeah, we have to be evolving. I do miss Horizons. Um, I wish they would have just plussed that one as opposed to just tearing it down. Um, but I, I mean, I'm still on the Horizons bandwagon. I will once and forever be like, like that's one of those like that that's a that's like a who shot first kind of Han Solo thing for for an Epcot purist is you took a you took away Horizons not cool not cool at all but you know yeah go ahead I was gonna say we should have an episode soon where we discuss and I know this is a positive uh, show driven on positivity but we should have a show where we all lay out which ride Disney better not touch. Which attraction <laughs> Disney better not touch? What, what's your untouchable attraction? We're going to have to discuss that in a, in a future show. Um, so one of the things that, you know, obviously we're missing our co-host, John, and um, he's going to record his thoughts on this. And we're going to cut to that uh, now as John shares his thoughts about what where he sees Walt's vision 
Hey guys, sorry I couldn't be with you in our normal recording. It's been kind of a wild week for the three of us, so I'm really glad that next episode we're going to be able to sit sit down together again and talk Disney. We have a lot to recap about the 50th anniversary, about where we have you know, a vision for the future of the parks. We have a Halloween episode coming up. There's a lot to talk about in the Disney world. But before we go any further with our podcast, one of the topics that I had suggested to the team was, where do you see Walt's vision alive today in the parks? You know, it's a complicated question because Walt Disney had a vision for the Florida project that might not have necessarily been what we see today with four theme parks and 20-something resorts. But I'd like to think that Walt would be really happy with what's there. Walt would be thrilled to see how many thousands, millions even, tens of millions of people have come through the, the gates here and had a family or a couple vacation and took some time away from their busy schedules or a difficult world and enjoyed his world. But I was thinking about this, you know, sort of a specific place where Walt's vision might really be alive. And for me, that's got to be Disney's Animal Kingdom. I know that when this park originally debuted, there were a lot of people that thought it was sort of a half-day park. You know, there was a marketing campaign because so many people thought it was simply a zoo. But Animal Kingdom, to me, is the most thematically complete park of the four that are there uh, in Florida these days. Disney's Animal Kingdom is thematically rich, beautiful, and perfect. The integrity of its theming is exceptional. The common link of conservation, of environmental protection, of our common commitment to the earth and to one another as a result of that earth, that commitment to earth, is incredible. And it permeates every aspect of the park. You know, you walk in and sort of Discovery Island and you're, you're captivated by the tree of life uh, the rich score, or the natural uplifting score, it's almost reminiscent of Epcot. There's a lot of edutainment also in Disney's Animal Kingdom, from the animal exhibits to the safari in Africa uh, to a lot of the rich details, even on the buildings. Um, there's so much to unpack. There's so much richness in every bite, if I could even say that, of Animal Kingdom. You know, one of the things I was most worried about when they announced the Avatar expansion into the old Camp Mini Mickey area, was would this fit with Animal Kingdom's theme? And I have to admit, guys, I was I was skeptical. I was not a huge fan of Avatar, and I'm, I am a huge fan of Animal Kingdom, but I couldn't have been more wrong. And this common theme of preservation, of conservation, of keeping the natural order, the integrity of the natural world, um, and being good stewards of it, is something that I think does land quite well in Avatar and absolutely lands in Pandora, the way that it was created. It is such a spectacular land in a spectacular park. Um, I also like that Animal Kingdom finally got its animals that never were. You know, Animal Kingdom is supposed to be about, uh, supposed to be about the animals of the past, the animals that are now, and the animals that never were. Um, and I just find uh, I find that to be a good representation of the animals that never were. I love Africa and Asia. Those sections of Animal Kingdom are so incredibly rich with detail and homage 
to these wonderful regions of the world. Um, so much attention is given to the care uh, of the animals that are there at the park. And I know Walt loved animals, so I think he'd be thrilled with Animal Kingdom. Um, thrilled. Now, that's not to say that Animal Kingdom is without its flaws. Thank goodness Primeval World uh, is finally coming down, and hopefully soon the rest of Chester and Hester's Dinorama. But Animal Kingdom is so true to what Walt's original vision of what of theme parks are. Thematically pure, uh, a common thread, a message, uh, something for every person in the family to kind of take home and chew on. And it just sticks with you. Uh, uh, to our listeners that haven't had the opportunity to be in Animal Kingdom at night, I encourage you. Uh, you know, unfortunately, Rivers of Light didn't quite land the way we wanted it to, which was the nighttime show there. But Animal Kingdom at night is a remarkable place. It is. It feels wild, which is fun because the, the park was supposed to be called Disney's Wild Animal Kingdom. But it, it feels um, the, the magic that one feels in sort of a dark animal kingdom when the tree of life is lighting up uh, is so incredible. You forget you're in a theme park and you really feel like you're plugging in to sort of into into nature. I think, you know, in terms of infrastructure, uh, Walt really would have liked the Skyliner. I, of course, you know, Walt was a monorail fan and, and a transportation fan. So I think Walt would have really been interested in the infrastructure of Walt Disney World. We don't really think about that a whole lot. But to make Walt Disney World run requires essentially an army or or a small a small country's worth of resources, of people, of brain power. I just think of what it takes to feed all of the people that come in to get rid of the waste, the, you know, to power the, the, the world. I mean, the solar, uh, Disney's commitment to solar, Disney's commitment to sustainable practices with such an operation is commendable. And of course, the transportation, you know, I started with the Skyliner before I went off on that tangent. But I think Walt would have really liked to see all the different ways his parks and resorts where it would be connected. You know, the boats uh, traversing Crescent Lake or, you know, the lake uh, or the Susquehanna River um, from uh, Port Orleans down to uh, Disney Springs uh, or in Bay Lake or the Seven Seas Lagoon. Like I said, you know, the Skyliner, which is such a fantastical way of movement of moving so that you're continually in the story, which I think Walt would have really liked. And of course, the monorail, which just goes without saying, um, you know, a Disney World original, something that was also at Disneyland. Um, just the sheer infrastructure, what it takes uh, to make Disney World go, uh, you know, from the Utilidors and the Magic Kingdom um, to the to the security to the you know the lawn maintenance to the energy maintenance uh, there's just a lot that goes into making these parks a reality and making them a fun place for us to visit uh, and be so i think ultimately that's where i would see walt the most in these parks um and you know i'm trying to think of a poetic way to to end this i'm not sure that i'm going to quite land that plane but I think Walt would be very, very happy with what he sees. You know, I don't think it's perfect. 
And I think that there are some things that even worry me a little bit, but I think Walt would be really happy with the amount of happiness that his product has generated and will continue to generate, hopefully, for many, many, many years to come. Anyways, looking forward to being with you all next week. Thank you for your patience. I know this episode is delayed. It's because of me. Please, uh, you know, like and subscribe and do all that you can do. And Matt, take it away. Thanks, John. Let's go to what's making us happy this week. Paul, do you have some thoughts about what's making you happy this week? Well, I think I have something that's probably, uh, it kind of takes the ace out, out of everything because um, when this podcast probably will air, I will actually be in Disney World again. So <laughs> that is definitely making me happy because partly what I'm doing now is preparing and packing and getting myself ready to go. Um, I'm keeping myself safe, of course, um, uh, masking up. And, you know, despite the fact that others may not, I will do and I'll keep myself safe in the parks. But I've been... Um, uh, yeah, looking forward to this. I'll be able to see some of that 50th anniversary stuff that's been going on. Um, I'll bring you back something. How's that sound? That sounds amazing. So two things are making, well, three things are now making me happy this week. Number one, that you're going to bring me something back. Number right. two is that you're going. I'm very happy that you're going and getting that time. Um, I know that is genuinely your happy place. And number three um, is actually... I know I use Disney Plus series quite a bit on this show, but I'm really super excited about Muppet Haunted Mansion. Um, it could go one of many different directions. Obviously, the Muppets have had varying quality over the years, some of their output, some of their movies, and some of their shows. But having that full integration of the Disney IP, the, the Haunted Mansion, an iconic attraction, yeah. I've gotten to see some of the clips um, how they do the stretching room and things like that, how they integrate that and give it a real Muppet feel. I am so excited about what they're going to pull off. Um, I can't wait to sit down with my children and watch. And that is their favorite Disney attraction. Uh, at least the big two. Marty hasn't been yet. Uh, he's been watching plenty of uh, behind the scenes specials to get excited about it. Yeah at least as excited as a 10 month old could get. But um, I'm so excited to sit down with the big kids this weekend and watch Muppet Haunted Mansion. It looks tremendous. Um, is there a favorite Muppet that you have that you're looking, that you're hoping you're gonna be able, that hoping is like attired or in, engaged in some sort of Haunted Mansion thing? I'm a completely a sucker for the classics. I'm completely a sucker for, uh, for Kermit. Um, Kermit's always been a favorite of mine, um, just because he's almost the Mickey Mouse of the Muppets. Yeah, um, he's that anchor. But you know, somebody like Fozzie Bear, who is always ready to put out a joke, and he still makes my children very happy when they watch the baby version of him with Muppet Babies. Um, there's something absolutely sweet and good-natured about Fozzie that, like. He's always willing to be the brunt of the joke while trying to make the joke. Um, and there's always, at the same time, this kind of like angst about, oh, did that just happen? You know, like the face palm is a classic, classic animated GIF. Like, I love the way that, that Fozzie puts his hand on his, on his face and just kind of goes up. Ugh. There's, there's something just 
terribly goofy about him that I just adore. And I got to see what he plays in the show, but I won't spoil it for anybody. Uh, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing how that plays out throughout. Um, I'll be honest, one of the main characters for Muppet Haunted Mansion is not one of my favorites. I'm not a Pepe the Prawn fan. He always feels like he's been shoehorned into the Muppets. Um, but at the same time, I've got to like sort of just step back, you know, as I said earlier in the show and go, sometimes the people or the characters that we always felt were the center of the show do need to step back and something, something else that somebody connects with, uh, the children will, will gravitate to, you know, like we in Sesame, like, for example, when we were kids, Big Bird was the, the center of Sesame Street. And then in the 90s, I remember just having this feeling of, why are you guys talking about Elmo? We've always got to be ready. I think, if anything, something like Elmo or something like Pepe the Prawn kind of just goes to show that you got to be flexible with what you love because, like, it's not the, the generation that comes after you isn't always going to be as in love with the character as you are. Um, and, you know, they're going to connect with something different. So Marty's getting tired of me talking about uh, Disney World. I hope our audience is not. Um, I am so excited that we were able to sit, to get, sit down together and talk. Um, so let's, let's remind our, our audience that they can follow us on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And please don't cry, Marty. Oh, subscribe or you're going to make them cry even more. We're on Spotify, Apple, that no one's subscribing right now. Hit that subscribe button. Like, yes, please. Hit the bell for notifications, all that other stuff. <laughs> or else a child will start crying. Yes. <laughs> you're being held hostage by a 10-month-old. So Spotify, Apple, Pandora, iHeart, Google, tune in. Leave us a review. Share with your friends. Uh, we're so excited to do this show every week. We, uh, we're looking forward to having John back, right? Or maybe not. Maybe not. Marty says he's kind of doubtful about John returning to the show because he's the co-host now. He's anyway, take over. <laughs> yes, the takeover is complete. All right. Aww, we Marty. missed John. Yeah, we missed John. Yeah. John, or uh, Marty, <laughs> you're John now. You're, you're John now, okay? Marty, can you say see you real soon? Paul can. All right, guys, we will see you real soon. See you real soon, everyone.